I first started parkour back in 2005, 2006, it was, I did show up to a new space. And I think as a reflection now, it's, I carved out the space to de-evolve and reinvent myself in many ways. It wasn't intentional by any means at the start of my personal parkour practices, but in many ways, like yourself, it was a way for me to redefine who I was, who, who I wanted to be and where my work would you know, lead to. Hello, I'm Craig Constantine. Welcome to the Movers Mindset Podcast, where I talk with movement enthusiasts to find out who they are, what they do, and why they do it. Alan Tran joins me in this episode for an in-depth discussion of journaling, reflection, and looking ahead. Alan Tran is a parkour coach and collaborator from Raleigh, North Carolina. He's the founder of Enzo Movement and is a director for both the Art of Retreat and the United States Parkour Association. Alan continues to serve the parkour and movement communities through active service and outreach. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Alan. And I always like, I want to say welcome, except I'm invariably, not invariably, I'm usually at somebody's house. So I'm like sitting in Alan's living room and I'm like, hey, Alan, welcome to the podcast. When it should be like Alan saying, Craig, welcome to my living room. So first of all, thank you for opening your home, letting me come by with all this stupid pile of crap. You have a delightful golden doodle named Lincoln. I didn't even respond to his name because he's getting belly rubs. So the question I have is what made you decide, how long have you had Lincoln and what made you decide to get a dog? Oh, wow. So Lincoln is what we would call a stimulus puppy. (laughs) Okay. You know, during the COVID lockdown. We got Lincoln back in August and he was born July 5th. Christy and I have been together for, I want to say five or six years. We're now in in a new condo that we own. I think it was about time for us to to get a puppy. <laughs> Maybe then like the next steps in life mm-hmm. as an adult. That's a big puppy. Yeah. How much does Lincoln weigh? Uh, last we weighed, he was about 65 pounds. Yeah. This is, I mean, okay, he's a puppy, but he's big. Yeah. But he's the most social and most like affectionate dog I've ever had. Do you find that he makes you think of new things or is it more of, a, I don't want to say like a comfort pillow, although he does play that role very well. But I'm I'm just thinking like, do you find that he is relaxing and like, you know, you you feel better around him, which which I'm guessing is true. Why would you have a dog if you didn't? But do you also find that like after you go to the dog park and you watch him run around like a nut job because he can really run, do you have like new ideas about running or after you see him, you know, struggling with a chew toy? Like I'm just wondering like how does the presence of this clearly intelligent but very different being affect the way you think and see things yeah more than anything i believe he pushes both christy and i in terms of how we approach coaching or teaching there's these buttons uh to the left of craig on the floor and we're trying to teach him i wondered what those were yeah so uh they're these like three or four inch diameter buttons that you you push keep keep going i'm gonna i'm gonna go get them and you can record a, a, a short sound. Uh, so one might say water, one might say all done, play. And we're trying to teach Lincoln these sounds that are reflective of the next action or uh, something that might might occur. I, know, I don't know what's going to happen when I push this button because there is a dog in the room. If, you, if, this, if this is attack, I'm screwed. So this is... 
<laughs> I'm chuckling because Lincoln instantly sat up and focused on the on the sound. That's neat. They're they're like little um, staples talking buttons. Where did you get the idea of? Well, wait. So keep keep going with you. You said he pushes you coaching. Let's. I'm going to pull on that thread while I reach down for the next one. So how how do you? I mean, obviously it's challenging to train a dog, but do you really find that that pushes? I'm afraid to say the the little kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, honestly, so the buttons were inspired by a someone I follow on Instagram called What About Bunny, and Bunny is also a poodle mix who has, I believe, around 300 words in his or her vocabulary. Whoa! And can understand and does Lincoln know? <laughs> I don't think he's quite trained yet. What's unique about those buttons is as the battery kind of fades, the the sound gets, the tone gets deeper. Oh, that's interesting. Kind of weird. Yeah, so it was inspired by watching this poodle mix learn and utilize these sounds or these buttons to express certain needs and wants and desires. He or she is able to tell its owner there's a stranger at the door or it wants to go to the dog park or it needs food or yeah. Um, Or if it needs like, like I think 90% of the time it just needs to use the restroom. (laughs) Bathroom. Yeah. (laughs) But what Christy and I didn't realize after getting the button, after introducing a couple of words that there's an order of words that you can uh, teach the dogs outside being one of the first few water, uh, food, um, but we started off with play, like play was the first one. And he learned that within 10 seconds. <laughs> well, so the, he pushes the button when he wants to play. Yeah. And there's like an old sock or like an old toy or like a ball and like, we'll pick it up and play and, or he'll push the button and then grab and the then toy. And grab the toy. Oh, you've created a monster because he, uh, I mean, he'll play. I, that's a, that's a bottomless reservoir. Yeah, exactly. And what you're supposed to actually teach is uh, food or water and outside first and then all done or stop or no before you teach them play or some sort of reward beyond uh, beyond food. Hmm. So he has an endless amount of play pushing, but doesn't know when to stop. <laughs> so the no button is for him to push? Uh, the no button right now, he's still learning. So when we're finished with playing or finished with um, food, we're now pushing all pl- uh, or all done. And we should have done that. Uh, right after teaching him food. So you're using them both. The, there are some things that he can signal for, but you could also, like he can signal outside, but you could also just, you know, step on outside and then he would know that's what you want him to do. Yeah, yeah. And it's taught by pushing the button and then uh, demonstrating Doing, the action. Yeah. At, at least at the very beginning stages. Uh, so there's a lot of speech pathology that uh, is also like, uh, I think, encoded in the system for learning or teaching animals how to quote unquote speak. Hmm. Do you, is it, <laughs> it's a sight gag. The dog is sprawled out, pushing the pillows off the end of the sofa. Do you find like so? How is that carried over? Has that carried over into the coaching that you guys do in other contexts? I'm always afraid to ask that because if you say yes, that means you've learned how to teach people by working with your dog. I wouldn't say yes. It's been because we've introduced the buttons maybe in the past six months. Um, but I think it's just a, a great reminder that uh, there are progressions, that there are steps. And as chaotic as my coaching style or teaching may be, that there's often 
progression and you should take, you know, take steps. Missing steps can be a little difficult. You、mm. have to backtrack, teach the button again and in a, in a different context and then before you're able to move forward.、Mm. So some dogs are able to be at 10, 20 buttons around his age, I think. But because we haven't, he hasn't learned all done and we haven't demonstrated it well enough, it's taking a little bit extra time. <laughs> That's really neat. I had never heard of training dogs with, he's also got a huge mouth and lots of teeth. Holy Toledo. What do you find?、Um, how old is Lincoln? 15 months? I think it's about 15 months. 15 months. Yeah, I think I've、5. asked this question to you like five times. I keep asking, how old's your dog? He's definitely a belly rubber. He, he does the bicycle running in place when you scratch his belly. Sorry, Craig's fascinated by dogs. The biggest way to get on the show is to have a dog that I like. Do you, I'm guessing you're a dog person generally, but do you like, do you go, out, I go out of my way to play with other people's dogs? Oh,、I'm、for like, sure. Yeah. Okay.、For、just、sure. checking. Cause that's the thing. I think there's a, a spontaneity that it, when I first started doing that, I don't know how long ago, it used to be like, oh, look, a dog. Yeah. I should go play with the dog. Now it's just like, a dog? What kind of dog is that? You know, and the only question I have is like, is this dog going to bite me? Because if you approach enough dogs, you will eventually find some people actually have dogs that are mean. Often tethered to a mean human, I've noticed. I'm, I'm wondering if there's a correlation there. And I, I think it's,、um, it is also surprising how people love when other people who love dogs come up and say, Can I play with your dog? They're like, Oh, yes, please. Because、like, I'm sick of petting him after seven <laughs> years. So, have you, have you found that? I mean, the obvious one would be to say, like, Have you met any new friends through the dog park? But have you found that, the, that having a dog has changed your life in other ways? I didn't realize I had a border collie prior, and her personality was the complete opposite. She was much more like a, like almost like an indoor cat. She loved being around people, but never wanted to go up and introduce herself or to meet the individual that's in the house. She didn't want to meet other dogs. She was very calm and、uh, still well, well mannered, just reluctant.、Um, whereas Lincoln is incredibly social. Needs to touch you, needs to give you kisses. <laughs> I opened the door in the morning. It was like, I opened the door and the vacuum sucked him in. It's like, <laughs> so I'm like, oh, hello. <laughs> yeah. And he's ready for action at any point. So it was just a great reminder on how spontaneous dogs can be and how I think is also just a great reflection on play because you know, you can always jump in and be ready for, for something that's new and exciting. And, like, they have so much curiosity, especially at this age, 15 years, like 15 months old. Everything's still new and fresh and、uh, <laughs> left to be like uncovered in some way. Yeah, yeah I, a sound happens and they're just like, what's that? And then they go right up to it. And it's like, oh, that's it. It's just a zipper, you know? <laughs> like, so I, I, liked, I like to try to find topics to start with. So, and, and Link, it's an obvious topic, is this giant thing in the room, is an obvious place to start that. Gets you and I like thinking about different directions because we could have a talk about, you know, project funding or podcasting or running a gym or whatever. And I think it's always interesting to just see how people think about things. So if I just hold up something like, you know, squirrel and then see what, what ideas that generates in your head. Are, what, are you, what are you thinking now about? Oh, I wonder if Craig would want to talk about, like, that's kind of me leading you a little bit. And I'm just wondering if you'd be interested in trying to lead the conversation to see where you'd go. Oh, I feel like this is one of my weaknesses. I'm super good at sharing a space and sitting in with people 
and kind of like gluing the conversations, but also opening doors and, and letting people dive really deep yeah. into their own uh, minds or curiosities. But some of my work recently have been on competitions through USPK. I think just leadership in general and organization through USPK, art of retreat over the past couple of years, and also just um, running a business, especially during the pandemic, which has been crazy for everyone um, over the past two years as well. We could also talk about core values or Craig. Like, how often do we get to talk about Craig on? <laughs> The Movers Mindset Podcast. It does come up a lot, but okay. Um, yeah, well, I mean, do you want, um, are any of those questions or you want to talk more about those or do you want me to make up a question just to give you an excuse to talk about one of those things? Which, yeah, I guess make up a question. Make and... up a question. If I asked Christy, sorry, it's Christy, right? Did I just get her name wrong? Yeah, it's Christy. Christy. <laughs> Um, I say this, I'm starting to say this a lot. Most people have nightmares about showing up at the job or school or work with no pants. My nightmare is getting people's names wrong. Forgetting ah, people's names. Okay. I, was, I just, it, it, it seems like the least I could do is remember people's names. Well, so a funny thing about names, and I was told recently by a friend, good friend, Brian, so when you first introduce someone, your, yourself to someone, the first thing you tell them is your name. And it's without any context beyond right. like the environment that you're in and the, the, the space and, and time and setting that you're at. So what he really loves to do is to, to share a little story uh, that gives context for you. And then he'll say his name at the, at the end. So mm. you can always like... So I should say like, I, I really recently fell in love with rock climbing. And a lot of times you go climbing at the crag and I'm Craig. Ah, yeah. <laughs> Which is this really interesting, like the word Craig really comes from the Scottish word crag. It, it literally means the dweller of the crag. Mm. So there you go. If you don't know my name, you do now. And now that you like rock climbing. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing. I, I, I say I fancy myself a rock climber. Mostly I'm a rock faller offer. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully with a rope. Yeah. So um, I don't know. Any of those other topics leap out at you as interesting threads you want to pull on? Uh, I'm open to wherever. You're, You'd like to wherever. To, yeah. You're just going to sit back. You're totally going to follow. All right. How about... I'm just noticing there is an enormous pair of collages on the wall. How did I not notice those before? Yeah, so both of these, the one to my left is a recent trip right before lockdown of Chrissy and I joining my dad, his wife, and my brother to Vietnam. We took about three weeks traveling from the south up to the north, visiting, mm. f visiting some friends and family, and then also doing some where and then there's one we don't, we don't have to do all the stories but there's also one over here the other way what and i think what caught my eye about it aside from the fact that it's full of like people shot i mean like i mean there are some shots of of you know i see temples and things but it's a lot of shots of people yeah and i love to kind of sometimes I turn my my personal journal into like scrapbooking and i'm like pasting in pictures of things and and postcards and stuff yeah what made you like what made you do that one like have you always done those or is that a relatively new development or who taught you how to do that or wow so i think growing up my mom had always kept photo albums of her parents of her step or i guess her step parents or foster parents and for her they were very sentimental and and still to this day something that she carries because um, so my, my mom was a, a refuge from Vietnam and she, like her parents were incredibly rich and, and well off and, and prior to the war, but for her to, for her and her mom to find refuge here in Vietnam, they had to sell everything except two bars of gold. 
They made it through the, the Catholic Church, traveling overseas. And I believe within two years of arrival, her mom had passed. And mom was around, I think, the age of 14. So she lost pretty much the, the key to her history, losing information about her cousins and, and close family and really like where her roots were. Hmm. And I think f- photography and, and photos and old videos are a way for her to kind of unlo- unlock that past and, and serve as a reminder for her about where she came from. And I think that's something that I've kept as a, just a trait or as like a small, I wouldn't say it's a hobby because it's rarely done for me, but as a practice of me to reflect back on some of the trips or, and as with these collages, a lot of photos of of friends and family uh, to reflect on and cherish. Do you do um, any journaling or like self-reflective practice as part of your, um, you know, personal some people call it personal care. Some people call it personal improvement or. Yeah. I journal every day or. I, that's the goal. Yeah. I, that's I do the, the same, goal. but I haven't touched it in three days because it's been a little chaotic, right? <laughs> yeah. It's a practice that I started back in high school when I was given a book called A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. Right. And honestly, I think that's also when my reflection and meditation started as a individual. But shortly after, the same friend gave me a book called The Artist's Way. I don't know if I know that one. It's by Julia, I can't recall her last name, but one of her practices is as soon as she wakes up, she writes three pages. Yeah, I think they call that morning morning pages. pages, Yeah, Yeah, so I did that for about six months to nine months. And it's kind of stuck for the past... 10, 15 years. And, but rather than like a morning pages, I, I do evening pages, spending about 10 to 15 minutes journaling on anything that I've, I've come across today. And I think over the years, you start to t- see patterns that you can unravel or little gifts. Seasonal, or yeah, Easter seasonal eggs. routines. And yeah. Yeah. And I think it's an incredibly important practice to be able to reflect as a, as a practice for growing. Sorry, I was just distracted by Lincoln stood up on the sofa, put his front paws on the floor and did a literal down dog with his feet up on the sofa. I was like, wow, I'm not, I wish I could do that. Do you, how do you, do you review them? Sorry, I'm, I'm still holding the journals thread in my head. Do you go back and read them like on a routine or because cause I, I can tell about how I do journaling, but I kind of want to see how you do it first. <laughs> Yeah, there's a couple of different ways. So I I think up until the past couple of years, I physically wrote in a journal. And to this day, I like, I'll go back and just randomly select different pages to, to, to read upon. And then there's also like, now that I'm doing a digital journal, uh, I'll shoot myself an email and it'll just, I'll choose a random day and time in the future and it'll, it'll just email me. Hmm. You may what you wrote on that on that day. Yeah, so I'll also just get random emails. Sometimes it's one, sometimes it's two, sometimes usually it's like never because I usually do three to five years mm-hmm. out. Um, it's been two years, a year or two. So those emails are like yeah, the gifts to starting to piling up, starting to pile up. Yeah, that's an interesting way to do it. I I go to the trouble of. I journal handwritten. Oh, we also have to talk about slip, kept slip boxes in Zettel custom. 
Um, I go to the trouble of journaling physically by hand on paper and it's like tedious and it's slow. And I write in cursive because it's like a secret uh, encoded script that nobody can ah, read anymore. <laughs> yeah. So I maybe will look at it. I also think it's a really great way to see how far or the distance of yourself from your past. That's a good point. And oftentimes if I take a moment to reflect and to let myself sit with that previous person, sometimes you can find little things that were that were stressful, that no longer matter, but more so as a reflection of like, how have I grown in different values is for me, like reflection is, is, is something that's very important, but is it still, you know, the number one priority today or is it responsibility or perseverance or respect or yada, yada. But I've been toying with the idea of, uh, since I am keeping it digitally and I, I have it by date, um, rather than keeping it by year, but just by the the day, like, like the right. September fifth, and then that would give me a reminder for last year, the year before, and um, See, I my, haven't taken the time to. It's a pain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's tedious, and and my brain goes, but what do I do with February twenty ninth? It only comes, you know, it's just like all these weird, or if it's a you know strange situations. Um, but I, I do like that. What, what made me think of all this? The whole reason I asked you about journaling was. There are sections of my journals. Sometimes I have to cut pages out to make room to close them, but there are sections of my journals where I do like collages and stuff ah. in the journal. So when I looked at the wall, I was reminded of some of these giant like art projects I've done that are stuffed in journals. So that one journal entry that you randomly mailed yourself five years in the future or the, you know, the picture of that's clearly like a big banquet dinner or something like that will bring up the whole night, the whole thing unrolls. So I think it's really smart to set yourself up you know, both to be reflective and to like trick your future self into also continuing to be reflective. Yeah. And also it serves as a reminder of different emotional states because I could be having a bad day, you know, battling uh, myself for some sort of self-challenge or maybe there's some sort of stressor, but I could look at a photo and be like, oh, wow, that was a, a really happy moment that I spent with others, or that was a really a, a creative moment or a moment that I felt, felt um, excited enlightened or some sort of emotive that's beyond like where I am presently. So what do you think about sharing your reflections or your writings in your space publicly? Like, so if someone came in, <laughs> sorry, I and just, I know that you've talked about writing I just double cursive. clutch because like, which, who, who's this? Like this other person who looks like Alan just jumped out like with a question and lit up. Um, I would love to answer your question. Um, so first of all, just to make sure everybody's aware, I do have a blog. It's Constantine.name, just .name. I thought I was being clever. It was a mistake. I'm sorry. There are way over 3,000 posts there for more than 10 years of me blogging. And I mean, I love to look at the ones in the very beginning. I also have a piece of software which feeds me links to my own blog. So I am reading old stuff. But in the beginning, it's a, it was a very different animal. It was like Instagram shots at the front. But the, sometimes I look at the very first post and I go like, I remember like starting. So it, it does work that way too. I use my personal blog. It's literally, and I, I've written articles about this and I talk about it often, maybe never on Movers Mindset Podcast, about how it's a vehicle for me to be reflective. Definitely. And what I'm getting from this, and also I think is a, observation of movers mindset and just of what i know of you craig is that you're like i think three core values for you are uh, reflection vulnerability and the ability to share oh i'm wondering why you say vulnerability 
I'm not pushing back that it's wrong. I'm just wondering why I might yeah. want to put that in the top three. I would be hesitant to sh- write, like post my journalings online. Oh, well, I don't post my personal journalings. Oh, okay. Uh, the, the stuff that's on the blog, <laughs> people are probably going, how much stuff do you write and create? Too much. Yeah. The blog itself is intentionally created. It's not, I don't do it as part of my morning stuff. Mm. So like my personal journal entries, the photographs are like locked in my stuff. Nobody can see them. It's just for me. Even my wife doesn't read the journal. So Yeah. I guess there's two, like a comment and a question. The comment being movers mindset and, and just your work with podcasting and, and sharing the space for voices as a way of allowing others to be vulnerable. Right. But then the question is, would where in lies, what's the like obstacle from sharing your private journals for like with your wife or with friends or oh, family? Well, part of it is I think if I, but I never wanted to, hesitate to write something down because I was thinking about who might read it. Of course, when I die, you can all laugh at me you know, endlessly. Yeah. So that's one concern I have about sharing my personal journal is as soon as I say, like conceptually, it can be seen by somebody else. And then I just know that I'm going to be thinking for me for reflection. Like for me, it's a, I was going to say it's a true mirror, but it's really not. It's extremely subjective, right? But it's, as, it's, a, it's the best mirror that I can make and I don't want to like mess that up. So I don't, I'm afraid that sharing it would make me double think that. Yeah, it's a, an open space for yourself and your inner and outer self in whatever ways. But there has to be a sense of security and by it being only viewable for yourself and for you to write and to read and to, to hold, it gives you that sense of security to, yeah. to be open. But I also like the context of how you write or writing in your uh, personal journaling with I statements, it's much like oh yeah, nonviolent yeah. communication. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do also, I do also use the journal. <laughs> We're going to turn this into Craig's journaling podcast. I also use the journal to artificially create like you know milestones. Like oh, I, I know like journal number seventeen. You know, like and then I'm like I'll, I'll sit there and do the math on how many thousands of pages it is. Or oh, like what should I write on the very first blank page? So I, it also gives you a chance to. So I'm just saying journaling in general to everybody listening gives you a chance to create arbitrary milestones. Like for the longest time I was, I actually numbered the journal entries. I knew what number entry I was on. And for a while, don't do this. I used to know what day of my life I was on. That gets a little dark, but it's fun because I can say, oh, it's page 1000. And it just forces me to stop and do a little bit of reflection on what I've accomplished and and what I did in the last journal. Speaking of your process, (laughs) it sounds like you have a one- three and five year reminder? Uh, I, I actually have been doing one, three, six, and nine. One, three, six, and nine. Yeah. Wow. So, but now I'm, I'm stuck in this. Now I could actually switch to 10, five, two, one. <laughs> yeah. Any, any, yeah, number. You any number you want. It doesn't really matter. What do you, how do you think you've changed from the person you were one year ago? <laughs> oh, there's, there's a whole, <laughs> a lot of ways, which I think is a good thing. Like, I'm just like, wow, look at how much I changed. One thing that I'm just trying to like, I'm not going to rattle them all off because people will fall asleep. I think the biggest one, when I started parkour, I've had a 
personal journey to, I'm going to say, stop being the class clown. And when I went and started doing parkour, you have this opportunity to show up in a new space. I didn't realize this was happening when it happened, but you show up in a new space and you can choose to be whoever you want. I mean, you could just like show up as a whole new person. Yeah. And with a different name. Different. Yeah, right. You could just be like a completely different person. Craig. Yeah. And years, <laughs> years down the road, I often thought, you know, do I even really know these people that I've been training with? Like, did they show up with their given name or their new name? So for me, my early parkour journey was to de-evolve, to like untrain habits, um, to untrain mannerisms, to untrain jokes that I would tell, or even things that I thought were funny, like just to try and retrain all that. So that was really a product of the parkour training and just being immersed with new, new people, like different kinds of people. And then journaling's probably had similar, there've been similar types of transitions where, you know, after the fourth time I've have like, okay, in this journal, I want to accomplish all. It's like, yeah, no, let's just, let's go with, how about one thing? So yeah, it's, it's, there's been a lot of changes. What about nine years ago? Nine years so we'll ago. just do one in nine. <laughs> nine years ago. Nine years ago would have been 2012. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> 2012. You know, actually for the life of me, I'm trying to like think what the heck was I doing nine years ago? Because I haven't actually read the daily journal entry for like three days now because I've just been like busy going flat out and actually going backwards. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like that. That's probably like right in the middle of the house epoch. I bought a house. We bought a house in 2006 and then spent seven years working on it. And it, we were, I'm going to say nine years ago was finishing the kitchen and actually like putting, starting to put some finishing touches on the house, like the bathroom is done, the living room is done. Like we have things, we can actually start living, we can invite people over. And that's probably what was going on nine years ago is like coming out of a long tunnel of a lot of physical grueling work and a lot of expense. Um, but that's a really good question because I'm not really sure. Yeah, I think nine years ago, I was graduating from NC State, which is the local university here in zoology. And much like yourself, when I first started parkour back in 2005, 2006, it was, I did show up to a new space and I don't think, I think as a reflection now, it's, I carved out the space to de-evolve and reinvent myself in many ways. It wasn't intentional by any means at the start of my right. personal parkour practices, but in many ways like yourself, it was a way for me to redefine who I was, who, who I wanted to be and where my work would you know lead to. Maybe there's a question there we can ask ourselves about how did we learn maybe to use cadence? How did we develop the sensitivity to detect how what we're doing, like you're leading a coaching session or I'm leading a podcast session to, to like, you know, like our recording session. How did we develop the touch to detect what would be appropriate, like faster cadence, slower cadence, more material, less material? I think failing. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. So many times. You, you've, done it, you've done it hundreds of times and right. continue to do so in Probably to your to your measure. Yeah, I think so. Tip that, tip that up. Yeah, just angle it more. Uh, what, perfect. I've gotten over the the uh, resistance of like having. I asked uh, Alan to move his mic. It used to bother me. I'd want no, no we're moving mics, people. This is two people talking to microphones. Yeah, I I don't want to say that I failed a lot, but I intentionally went. I don't know what happens if I try and do you know, and then it comes out a certain way. And I, I really think different people are drawn to create podcasts for different reasons. Um, I was drawn because I really wanted 
to share what the other people had to say. And the original impetus, shout out to Nick Anastasia, was I was trying to get people to write. And Nick is the first person who said, dude, just let's do a, I think it was a Google Hangout. Let's do a Google Hangout. We use Zoom like it's a verb now. Just do a Zoom call and then transcribe it. And that that was like the beginning. And then I was trying to get people to like use that to seed their writing. And writing is hard and people know that. Uh, and then it just like was all downhill from there. Yeah. Yeah, something I don't think I've ever asked any of the other rendezvous coaches or any of the workshops I've done where, wherever was how intimidating is it to coach in a different place than where you're usually like your usual, you know, hotspot, you know, that's I a coach, great question. Yeah. This is a really useless place to ask it, Alan. Yeah. Cause I, you know, I, I coach, <laughs> you know, uh... two to three times a week here at Enso in Raleigh, North Carolina, but man, is it intimidating to go to like rendezvous every year? Huh? Why? And cause I, I'm, I have the fear of failure and fear of delivering a session that is not <laughs> a stinker, right? Yeah. That's not a stinker or, or that, is a stinker that isn't impactful or helps, you know, anyone who's participating to uncover or un, uh, unravel some new idea that right. that gives them some insight on their, their personal practice or on maybe even just parkour or why they're there, why they show up, what they're doing, who am I and why am I teaching? <laughs> Deep questions. I don't have an answer for that question because I don't teach at Rendezvous or any other place. There, so you and I, I, I used a little hesitant to name other people, but there was a coach, you, you'll remember as soon as I tell the story, there was a coach who was teaching a session in the newbie group. I always hang out in the newbie group. I love the newbie group. The numbers are small. The people are nice. Not that they're not always nice in the other groups, but they're always nice in the newbie groups. And we were along the Charles on the railing and the coach had us, had the whole session doing, I think it was called, uh, it was like basic vaults or something. Like, I don't know what it called it, but it was just like, we were doing step vaults and then we were doing step vaults on really low things. Like it was just like, what are the minimal progressions that we can find for the people who are in our session? Great session because it rained on us halfway through, which is always, I know, you know, the people, parkour people listening are like, yeah, rain. So we got a little bit of rain training in things got a little slippery, but you didn't get soaked, you know? So it wasn't like serious rain training. It was nice. My shoes didn't get too wet. We had fun. A lot of people who were there either day one or were very new, that may have been the first time they trained in the rain. It was just like all around all the cards lined up. And I think you were actually observing. I don't think you were supposed to actually be in the session, but I, the the coach was like, let's try the step vault. So, okay, I've done a couple of step vaults, done three or four of them. So I'm like, you know what I should do? I should go over here and do the step vault, do a step vault stalls. I should do the step vault stall on the railing that has the oops into the river, you know, drop on the other side. And then, so I did that and I was trying to be mindful of, I'm sort of like the kid off on his own, not paying attention. So I kept trying to like go back and pay attention, but I kept going back to that railing because I was drawn to like- Challenge. Challenge. <laughs> So, and then I don't know what drew you, but like, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it and then you were doing it. So it's like, oh, now we're both doing step vault stalls and trying to do like a step through turn vault. And I, I really wasn't challenged by from the inside out to the riverside. So then I'm like, but once I got out there, I found myself doing like the most conservative gate fault back into the park. So then I started, okay, if we're going to do this for real, you know, let's find a spot where there isn't a rock directly below me and do the the challenge from the outside in. So I think, I guess my first question is, I, I can tell you remember that you know what I'm talking about, but my first question would be, 
what what drew you to go from being observing to like engaging with the railing like what what was it that made you go because you were also doing you kept amping it up until it was i could see you were pushing yourself you know with those slightly more advanced variations so what drew you to actually engage there and move and and train instead of watch i think it was you <laughs> oops was yeah fishing for that <laughs> yeah the class clown um yeah I think as a coach, and it's a little different as an observer for a someone else's session, but I, I thought it was appropriate for that particular... Uh, yeah, that coach was quite advanced. He didn't need to be handheld or really supervised. <laughs> yeah, for that time and place. But yeah, you were carving out a, a small space for yourself to have a sense of self-challenge, and I wanted to participate with you because I thought that was appropriate, whereas the other individuals within that group were, you know need a little bit more assistance, need a little bit more guidance, and they were with, they were together. And I didn't want to see Craig all alone. <laughs> Craig wasn't bothered by being all alone, but and I also didn't mind your company because then it was like, if nobody notices you're doing the thing that wigs you out, you can just stop. Yeah. But like if Alan shows up and goes, yeah, you can really do that, then it's like, oh, no, I can't stop. So it, it did make it a little more like, oh, I guess I should keep doing this way off on a tangent. We were talking, I was asking about sensitivity to like cadence and timing. Yeah. How do you develop that sensitivity for whatever practice that you're developing or, or working on? And I thought failure was one of the keys. Hmm. I think reflection on that failure or your effort is also another key. Yeah. Because... I think I get less stressed every year going to rendezvous and as a coach, you mean? Yeah. As a coach, I think Blake and the team have done a phenomenal job as the event has, has grown and has made it much more easier and accessible. And, uh, really I just have to show up and, and coach and deliver the session, <laughs> but as intimidating as that is, you know, the, the session on, on breath work that we did where we're, so for those that don't know, we did a, a session, I think it was like 2018 or 2019. Yeah, it was in front of the Somerville High School several years ago. Yeah, where we were working on breath holds for a route. Maybe it was inside. I might be wrong on the location. It, it was at ARDV when I last saw it. Yeah, and for and for distance. So much like if you're running through, or the, the concept was pulled from free diving, which I was largely inspired by at the time, where when you're entering the water you're holding your breath and trying to dive as deep as you can and then coming back up and resurfacing for your breath of air on one breath and i'm not sure where i'm going with this but you know that was the first time i was actually toying with the idea that wasn't something i've practiced within a coaching setting here at my you know look my local stomping grounds but when i whenever i go to rendezvous like my new my ideas are always usually new and experimental and I, I guess maybe that's why I feel intimidated and, and nervous. And yeah, it's an early run vulnerable. of the Broadway play. Yeah, <laughs> it's only the third night. <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't I don't often come orchestrated with ideas. It's usually something that's inspired, that's in the moment, on the spot, um, during the planning sessions, hmm. which are often a day before the event. Yeah, things get. Like I, I, re, I do planning sessions for the podcast recordings and it, it, it never ceases to amaze me like the clock 
ticks. You know, you're like, I get up and I'm like, I got four hours before I have to even do the, you know, press the record button. And then it's like, wait, only have three hours. And then it's like, oh, two hours. Oh, well, all right, skip breakfast. We'll just do a shower and now we won't bother shaving. Like it's just the, that, that inexorable march is really like the greatest um, Pareto 80-20 thing. (laughs) It's like, well, we only have a day left. Okay. We're chopping off all this stuff. And that's why I think it's another thing about blogging publicly and the work that I do that's public is like, it forces me to just push the ship button. Like at some point you have to stop working on it and put it out there. And that, that frees up uh, space, time, money, mental capacity to work on the next thing. Otherwise I'd be stuck polishing or rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic, for example. I think I said it on mic before I mentioned Zettelkasten, um, which is a German word for slip box. Do you want to talk about that? No, I don't. It's just something that I'm just <laughs> nice. slightly exploring. <laughs> nice. And I'm not too familiar. I'm not, like, I've just started the process. So I'm kind of getting the, in the, into the feel of it. It's a little wacky. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We can, what do you want to talk about? Yeah. I guess <laughs> going back to Rendezvous, the, I think part of the intimidation that I have coaching some of those sessions is that I don't bring ideas to the table when I arrive to Boston or, uh, you know, if it was London, I'm, I kind of like work under the pressure. I, I like, we have, you know, roughly 24 hours, 36 hours to plan a session. And maybe it's just my, I think it's a personal practice, the, or it's not practice. It's just. It's your personal habitude. Yeah. It's a habit where I push the task until the very last minute and it forces my like my hand of creativity right. uh, to work under that pressure and i i have found i'm hoping i've the participants at rendezvous have found that that's where my best work and delivery i think they come. do i've never seen anybody go who is this guy you know like what yeah no i i would i would say your assessment is correct that it is pain that it is working that the sessions work yeah sometimes the one of the problems I have is I talk to so many people and I often talk to them multiple times. So I can never remember, did we say this on microphones or was it, were we talking about serendipity yesterday morning? I think we were talking about serendipity and I've been on this bender lately about trying to find ways to force my, not my creativity, but my intuition. So you were, when you mentioned you're, you're forcing your hand to like produce the thing that you waited to produce. I've been thinking about ways of trying to force my intuition to do what it would, you know, like that's really hard, but intuition is really good work or the work that it does. And I'm finding that, well, you've kind of really can't force it intentionally, but you can like practice noticing it. Yeah. And I think of it like wearing glasses. I have these pink glasses or framed glasses now and they add like a, a little pink aura around the world. <laughs> and prior to this, they were, they were black. But the I, th- I feel that you're never always holding the same frame. And when I am pushing it to the, like the moment before or, you know, the, the couple of hours before, as you're like kind of s- sitting and, and dwelling in the experience and kind of observing a lot of the nuances, that's what helps me to dial into my intuition on what's like what's needed for, from me as a coach or as someone that's standing with all the participants and experiencing something that's uh, whether it's parkour or, or not and I, I think a lot of it's subjective because it's 
me meeting someone where they are in that moment versus the objective of where I think they will be an hour from now, two, three, nine years from now. Hmm. Yeah, I would, I would agree. Do you ever ask yourself, so, because <laughs> you, you look back, do you ever ask yourself about your, or towards your future? Like, hey, like one year from now, I hope you're here. Or nine years from now, I, I hope you're there. Are you being particular about that? That's a slightly odd grammar choice for English. Are you being particular about like trying to get me to flip my thinking? I'm, I'm not questioning your grasp of English. I'm saying normally one would say, I hope I am there as opposed to saying, if I say to myself, I hope you are there. Cause that's a very interesting thing to do, right? If I, if I like third person myself. Yeah. I wanted to make sure you're doing that on yeah, purpose. It's, Cause it's I was like, I had never thought about it that way. I always think, I always think about the first person point of view, or I have always thought about the first person point of view. So I'll be thinking I should dot, 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 or I want to reach this goal or I want to create this thing. But it, it strikes me freshly here. It strikes me that, ooh, that's an interesting way to say I, to, because before I mentioned gifts to your future self by, you know, me reviewing and you mailing yourself journal yeah. entries. And that, that's an interesting way to actually talk to your future self in the present. Yeah. I, so the answer is, no, I don't do that. <laughs> I'm not saying it's silly or it shouldn't be done. I'm saying, no, I don't do that. Yeah, and I, I guess, yeah, I'm not sure where it came from, but it's me creatively thinking about how we look back, but how can we flip that to something that's hmm. different, future, I guess, future-facing. I th Sometimes I have to be careful about setting goals for myself. Jesse Danger once said, and I, I think... When he said it, he said he got it from somebody else. I'm not attempting to, so I don't know whether this is him being clever or just him having a good memory, but he said, it takes, uh, get it right, it takes a very special person to set a goal for themselves that they can't achieve. And I forget if we talked about it at that point. I think it might've been like one of those offhanded comments and like, you know, on the way to dinner or something. But when I thought about it, in hindsight, like when I thought about it more deeply, my first reaction was, huh, no, I do that all the time. But then I thought, oh wait, I wonder if you really meant there's there's levels there. Like the next level down is, is it really a goal that you actually set? If you like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk on the moon. Like that's my goal. I'm gonna be the first person on Mars. Well, that's really a bullshit goal. Cause first of all, I am not gonna be the first person on Mars. That's not gonna happen. But to set a goal that I actually really try and then to fail at it, it's like, ooh, that means you you set it so high that you couldn't reach it, but low enough that you thought you could try and stretch to it. And that's like, every time I set a goal now forever, I, that like it rings in my head of like, is this goal high enough, but not so high? Attainable. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, like what, I, I guess I want to go back to that question. Nine years from now, what do you hope? Future, oh, yeah, like as, Craig an, would as an actual answer, I would like to, I'm debating like, cause I can give you like 10 answers. So one answer would be, I would very much like to see the world. I don't want to say back to normal because the old normal was not a great place. The way people lived busy, frenetic lives and drove like maniacs and went to offices for no reason. I don't want to go back to that normal. That normal was not good, but I would like to go back to everybody not having to spend all their time concerned about an actual serious physiological danger. So I'd like the things to go back to normal in the sense of we have more time and we're, we have more space to do what we want. So that, but that's a pretty big yeah. 
So that, that would be like a really easy one for me to say. Nine years from now, I would like to look back and not be facing a global pandemic and for everybody else to not be facing a global pandemic. But to me, that feels too easy. Yeah. But so, internally, that's nine years from now, I wish that I would have, will have a greater sense of freedom or... Right. Yes. For me, like nine years from now, I have other projects that I'm working on that are making some money and that are like, they're still in the scratching the itch for me to create, but they're not this project. So it's only been recently that I feel like I can let go of like, I have to figure out how to make this project work. And I can be like, well, I've done it for five years and all these hundreds of episodes, it, it works just fine. Just keep doing that. And then what's the actual problem? Go fix that actual problem. It can come, that problem, the solution to that problem could come from somewhere else. So that's probably what I would say is my actual answer is I'm currently stuck on trying to solve a problem which I haven't fully specified in the podcast on purpose, but Alan has heard it. I'm like stuck on solving this problem. And at nine years, I'd like to have either figured out how to solve the problem or how to like go around it or like eliminate, you know, like, well, don't do that, do this instead. So that, but that's a big pile of. Yeah, it's unpack. Yeah. And I look at, I see that as like an ex extrinsic change. How do you think you have to change? Like I have to, oh, I have to let go of control. But when I stop and look back, it's like, oh, wow, 20, 30, 40, 50 years of success, like things that have gone well in the end. So maybe you should just recognize that you weren't in control back then. So that worked out. So you're not in control now. So let go of that. So that I think for me is the thing that I have to change is to continue to, I was going to say let go of the control, but there isn't any control. Let go of the illusion of control. Be comfortable with what the Stoics would call preferred indifference. <laughs> it's turning into the Craig, the Alan Interviews Craig podcast. <laughs> you dirty dog. I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> what else are you thinking? I think, you know, I think people will be delighted. Many people that I can think of specifically will be delighted to hear this part of Alan because this is a different Alan than most people would see or hear certainly a different Alan from the one you meet at coaching. You know, if you're a student and you meet Alan as a coach. Yeah. I've had, I feel like I've had that question poised to others and control is often the, the factor that does need to change for the individual. So where do you want to be in nine years? What's your, what's, wow. your, what's your factor? You didn't think I was Maybe gonna... I'm asking the questions I want to answer or like you didn't have think a hard you, time. Gonna, you didn't think I was going to turn that around? What are you? <laughs> Come on. Yeah. What's, it doesn't be nine years. You can change the time frame if you want, but. Yeah. Uh, nine years from now, I hope that I am still and digging deeper into reflection and, and honesty and, and probably a bit more vulnerability. I think part of me asking the questions to you, Craig, is me putting a wall of and, and being defensive. Yeah. And to be completely honest, I'm totally watching you do it. Like at no point here, have you like pulled one over on the magician? I'm just letting you do the magic tricks. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> but I, I also know that that's part of like a, my like defensive mechanism yeah. of not sharing the innards of my thinking and thoughts and process to dive into yours. So you, I, I kind of interrupted you on that. You were saying nine years in the future, you want to still be digging into reflection and yeah authenticity or, or honesty as a person? Well, I think you have authenticity in spades. I can't imagine how you would be, what would change you that you would become less authentic. So I, I think that one's pretty safe. Yeah. I hope it doesn't erode over the nine years because of the different experiences that it might have, whether it would be running around Lincoln at the dog park or parkour or running a gym or coaching or, you know, with life's 
curves and obstacles and curveballs. Yeah. I don't know. Vulnerability. I think vulnerability can be overrated. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, I was going to say it's handy. I didn't mean to make it that trite. It's, it's extremely useful to, to be able to gauge how vulnerable you are being. Yeah. So maybe a question for you would be, you know, I'm pushing back on you saying you want to be more vulnerable. And I'm like, well, but be more specific. Like, are there situations where you've looked back and thought, oh, why did I, why did I manifest that behavior? Oh, that's a sign of me not wanting to be vulnerable. But then the question is, maybe that was the right choice. Like, should you have been more vulnerable in that situation? Is that affectation actually wrong? Like maybe that maybe you had it all right, as opposed to just like, I need to turn the vulnerability dial up more, which I hear a lot of people say, like, that's a common thing to hear. So I was just wondering if you have, if you want to like dice that up a little thinner or more contextually specific. Yeah, I guess one that instantly comes to mind because we were just talking about Lincoln. I walk Lincoln every morning around eight o'clock and I live in a, in a condo association where there's maybe like 20 or 30 kids that all take the school bus around mm-hmm. eight o'clock. And yeah, I'm, I'm a friendly neighbor, but as a male, I feel, a little, I feel a little nervous to like approach the kids, say hey in the morning. Um, and it's something that I've brought up with Christy and it's something that I've also chatted with other male peers that there is a level of, and I'm not sure what the right word is, placing walls between you and your, like yourself and like public, especially around kids for a sense of like safety or security. Yeah. So it, it, that's, I guess that's my, in nine years, I would be like to be more vulnerable in that way. And that it could be like going to the grocery store where I've seen like the cashier's name tag and I, I've just memorized it because I go to the same grocery store every, every week and, you know, using the name. Um, so I think there is some authenticity by being a little bit more vulnerable if i'm being authentic to a feeling and like letting myself feel that feeling but also to take action versus to ignore a a sense of like that feeling or that urge Mm. and being indecisive or in or being not taking action it can you know there's lots of context where that can happen but if you if you act on those urges and like say hello or, or offer someone a, a hand, if you do that in parkour spaces when you're training, it really changes the tone. So like if I'm in a space and I opt to be, like I'm not actually normally a really upbeat, jovial person. A lot of times I'm, I'm you'd think I was mad. I'm just kind of like tired or like, that's just me. And we can dig into that in another episode. But if I go to a class and I think, okay, happy Craig on, you know, that that's good for me. Like, and it's good for my training, but then it's contagious. Like, even if it's not really who I feel like I am, if I decide to be more vulnerable and like ask for help or, you know, suggest a game we could play, then everybody else goes, oh, this is a space where people ask for help. This is a space where we co-create play together. So there's, there are many situations where if you, if I choose to be more vulnerable, that really does work well. So I think maybe that's the trick is to figure out where to push the envelope, when to do it. Yeah, and maybe stripping away some of the filters or layers that I have in between mm-hmm. this and like an action or like an urge. Because yeah. I think it's good to have, like it's normal and human and part of the experience to have urges, but taking away some of the like buttons that you have to push to to get to that, to that point. Yeah. Interesting ramble not in a bad way but like yeah i don't know where we're going let's go stroll all right well as, as much as i always hate to say it 
I'm going to look at the clock and I'm going to go. And of course, the final question is three words to describe your practice. I didn't think of this. <laughs> <laughs> Most people don't. I, and, it, and I say, usually I say beforehand, it's not meant to be a trick. Like it, it's just a chance for you to like, based on everything you, th- you know about yourself and then based on what you were just talking about, what do you think practice is? You don't have to unpack that. You're just in your head. And then what are three words that you would think would be good to sum it all up? When I think of practice, I think of learning. And when I think of learning, I think of reflection because I think looking back and evaluating what needs to change, where things are, your sense of feeling, emotions, your intentions. I also think of slow for myself. It takes a little bit of time for me to often process what's what I've experienced. So reflective and slow. And then maybe it's just those two. Thank you very much, Alan. It's I hate the part where I have to stop. It's super fun to have a conversation and never ceases to amaze me where we go with them. Uh, So thanks for taking the time. Thanks, Greg.